0: Welcome to the tokenomics DAO podcast where we explore everything tokenomics related ranging from deep dives on the tokenomics of the newest protocol to demystifying the nuance of building a successful token ecosystem our goal is to bring awareness to the importance of tokenomics and the crucial role it plays in defining the success of a protocol helping make tokenomics relevant for everyone builders and investors alike i'm your host flo Joined by my co-hosts Jason and Orel Lovis. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Welcome to another episode of the tokenomics now podcast. Um, today, Flo and I are going to talk about um, basics of tokenomics part two, we did an intro to tokenomics episode um, a few months ago. It was one of our most listened to episodes. Um, in the meantime, we have produced, or it's not comp- not quite complete yet, but almost there, uh, an online course, which, um, yeah, as I just said, will launch here probably this week full, in its final version. It's already open for sign up, um, which also covers the basics of tokenomics. And... It was produced doing live sessions on our Discord. And on average, we had about 20 people attending each of these sessions. It was five sessions, and it went from first principles, like what is a cryptocurrency, all the way to the basics of modeling and simulation. And in the course of these uh, live sessions, of course, we had lots of discussion, and people asked lots of questions about tokenomics. And so um, I just went through and pulled um, 20 of those questions from the first couple of sessions. And um, Flo and I are going to go through and pick them up, pick them apart, discuss them a little bit, and give some background information to them. Um, And yeah, just wanna, you know, we wanna genuinely educate on the subject. A lot of these questions will not have like a super definitive answer, but maybe um, hopefully they'll just get us, you know, philosophizing. (laughs) And yeah, we'll kind of treat this like a conversation um, between him and I, where we hopefully share some insights
0: great, yeah, great. Flo, welcome Let's thanks go.
1: for doing this with me
0: thanks um great audio with your new microphone
1: i know i just upgraded so i'm also in the road camp now we're not <laughs> sponsored by them good. or anything but maybe we should be <laughs> <laughs> if they want to sponsor
0: us i'm here i can give you my address send me a few things don't even have to internationally ship stuff i'm, I'm right, here. Sitting, right here you know yeah <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, yeah. so uh, we start with the basics, we have a couple of different categories and not like in like a super uh, logical sequence, but I think we're working our ways roughly from like less to more complex. Um, so first question was, um, if we can elaborate the difference between the tokenomics of a DAO and the tokenomics of tokens or coins in general, right? So this was asked by a person who they there pretty new to tokenomics. And they were just kind of trying to think think this through a little bit.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's I mean that's interesting. What would that be, right? I think like DAOs are more like this community thing in in most cases or in a lot of cases. <clears throat> um and then for so they I, I at least haven't seen any sort of sophisticated mechanisms on how they integrate their token into some process right as as with maybe other protocols or amms um, lending protocols do it you know whenever you you do something within that you 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 borrow something or you lend something or you um, do that or you uh, trade a lot then you get tokens Um, that's kind of how a lot of these uh, yeah like Dapps, Dapp tokens work, and for DAOs, yeah, but like all I've seen is like this membership that some of them do, you know, friends yeah. with benefits, and a, and a bunch of others, Bankless DAO, where you I always bring that example, but it's 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 always like that. You buy some tokens, and then you can get in. You're you're part of the inner ranks, right? And that's that's kind of yeah. how the how the token works, and. It's a bit pyramid scheme, right? Like, the more, the more people, like, you, you, so you're early to the project, you buy in, and then, yeah, you're kind of building it and doing whatever the DAO does. And then over time, more people come in and they buy the token at like higher prices potentially from you. It's, yeah. I mean, not, not exactly because, like, the same would happen to a startup, you know, the, the founders or the early members, they would get a lot more share of, of ownership and, and shares in general than, than the later people. Right. So the Facebook shares I might've bought Mark Zuckerberg himself would have sold them perhaps. Um, right. And he got them really early and really cheap and I bought them very expensive from him. But yeah, I think it's, it's it's more like yeah, but then there, there's also this like a lot of these like tokens and protocols that have more sophisticated mechanisms. They also have DAOs that govern them, so it's it's not not an easy one. It's just yeah, I guess it's very complex and what you can do with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, my answer there was, um, so first of all, I referred to the article that you had written a little over a year ago, where I think you had looked at the tokenomics of DAO, or like, what is a DAO in general, kind of? Oh, yeah. And um, and I was like, well, so like, if you compare like a layer one protocol, for example, to the tokenomics of a DAO, then in in a layer one, it is much more set in stone, kind of like, usually changing the rules is much harder, because there's, probably you know the rules the tokenomics are usually codified right they're put into this into the smart contracts or the code so it'll take like a specific line of actions to change it if at all um and then a DAO, probably it's a little easier where it's more like a charter like it's like if you know like an agreement and then as soon as enough people agree to change it then they'll just change it in a way uh, well, that, that, that I mean,
0: of- bitcoin could do the same right like if, if they get enough people to to agree to change, they could change the tokenomics of Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. I guess it's just because it's, it has grown into such a massive network. It just seems less likely. maybe, yeah. happen, But I think the more decentralized
0: you are, the, the harder it gets.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, but I think I don't really know either, but there's probably not too many differences They're I guess in general, they're all the same, right? They all have some supply. they all have some demand hopefully coming from somewhere. Um, I think, like tokens and coins, I've seen more mechanisms in general than in, in in DAOs.
1: Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think that's also an opportunity for DAOs, right, to work out what are these processes um, to reward action. I guess.
0: Yeah, and I mean, we've done a whole podcast on that, right? Like on yeah. how we're trying to figure out how to distribute our token that we don't have yet, um, that we might get. Like how, based on what, based on value creation and we've been going it through it for a couple of months and it's yeah it's it's not easy to figure that out because yeah it's really human it's really tied to the humans and not to just some some process or program
1: yeah yeah, we might
0: have some might have some innovation coming there but i haven't seen too much to be honest of it yeah
1: yeah well i think that was a good enough answer so moving on to number two um how are tokens different from shares or equity shares um and then like follow-up question i guess was uh, can a token like why can't a token have similar equity properties than a share
0: um i think we should write an article about that <laughs> we've done. <laughs> um Yeah, I guess there's like there's a lot of aspects on that, and I I'm trying to get to that the 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 tweet thread as the summary. We should have like an an overview of all the tweet threads that we've done because sometimes I prefer going there because they're shorter than the articles. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, of course, it's always good to read the article because the you get the full picture, but the tweet thread sometimes gives you like a this good summary right so i've like i feel like the there's or at least in, in the in the article that i wrote there's like six different things um or a couple of different things there's like supply they they can have different supply dynamics and often they are vastly different like tokens and shares there's this uh yeah utility is also a lot different, fundamentals look look different. There's different ways of evaluating them and then also governance uh, looks very different. I can send it to you, I've, I found it. If you want to share your screen. Um, they, yeah, and, and kind of, how do I do that?
1: You can do it here in the chat or? Here
0: it is, sorry just setting this up. So yeah there, there's these different like there's supply utility fundamentals governance there's different ways of evaluating them all these different things between um shares and and tokens and I think we we even did like a whole podcast on that a while ago as well so we can link that um but yeah in in general if we if we start with supply there there's um if you look at Amazon shares they They increase over time. So they're also like mildly inflationary. But that's like the first tweet up the top, right? There's, but there is no Olympus Dow, or at least I haven't seen any Olympus Dow like shares. And what I mean with Olympus Dow is this, you know, they had this hyperinflationary where they um, promised in the beginning they had like a 30,000% yield on holding their token and that meant they were minting a ton of new tokens um, all the time right so that typically doesn't happen with shares because it's it's just much more regulated but with tokens yeah you can do whatever you want and um, I think that's also pretty cool because people can try out that stuff and well I, I don't really have the latest on Olympus DAO and but I'd, I'd love to see the history of their tokenomics because they've evolved a lot over time because they've seen like, okay, their their initial approach of being hyperinflationary didn't quite work. So they've adjusted it and tweaked it. And that's what I really like about this whole token world. People can innovate a lot more because they're just allowed to try stuff. And if if that at the end means they come out at the same result as equities and shares, yeah, it's also interesting. But um, yeah, yeah. I feel like, in, like when I buy shares, I never look at the, the shares outstanding and how they've been growing over time. I don't know how about you, Lovis, but I never look at that when I, when I buy shares. I mean, there's probably investors that do, but I feel like
1: I mean, maybe nobody
0: really cares, right? Or it pays a lot of attention.
1: Maybe when you're like investing in really small companies that are mm-hmm. listed, uh, maybe it becomes more of an issue. I've yeah. uh, definitely come across that that uh, Jay had pointed it out to me about a certain like probably like a gold mining company <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Who are, who are, uh, I mean, they're using the capital markets as a way to increase capital, obviously, but for them, it's like more relevant, I guess, than for like massive like trillion dollar companies.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, and, but still, like I feel like everywhere in, in tokens, you should look at that.
1: Yeah, well, with tokens, you have to, right, because that is, like, one of the key, that's, like, one of the easy pitfalls to fall into, um, if the, if what the issuance rate is, um, and even the, even the unlocks, right, is is a little different, I think, with, with uh, equity shares, if there's, like, employees that have shares vesting, that wouldn't be a major concern for me, um, Whereas with tokens, I think that could be because if it's a substantial amount that becomes unlocked all in one day and then that person starts selling, that could definitely uh, impact your investment decision negatively or your, you know. So, yeah, yeah.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I think like with big corporations, the shares that I mean, they, they would probably also like in like create new shares and mm-hmm. use that as employee vesting, but they'll be really careful with that because the existing. I mean, with tokens the same, but the existing shareholders would be not very happy if they get diluted on their shares, right? So that I mean, that means you you're creating more tokens, so your the the was it the cake or the pie grows, but your slice stays the same size; doesn't grow with it.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So yeah, I, th- I guess that's careful. And then on the utility side. just don't want to spend like the whole podcast on this right but like on the utility side I guess they differ that um yeah there's for for shares they don't have a lot of utilities right you can you can to some degree participate in the shareholders annual meetings and and you can you might also be able to vote there um but yeah, with crypto, there there can be a lot more. It can be used as a means of payment, perhaps like with Chainlink. You could, you know, you could you could use the Chainlink to- the link token to pay for uh, using their Oracle services or whatnot. There's like a lot, lot of different things that can happen here. Where, as shares, you probably don't really have to have to look at that, right? Um, I look into that at all. And means something like. Yeah, so-
1: we i mean i guess one function that chairs have is governance in a way right because like there's yeah. shareholder yeah. meetings and stuff like that they
0: yeah, can vote yeah
1: but i think that's about it i don't think that there's yeah. many other that they have in common with tokens um yeah. and then the you know the asker was like well could that be couldn't chairs just be augmented to have more of these functions and i um, like, like well, i guess theoretically they maybe could but like it would require uh regulatory coordination to do that and that's just seems very complex um
0: yeah and it all it's, it's kind of all slowed down by that right so there, yeah. there might be people who might be thinking it'd be so cool if we could do this with shares or it could be so cool if we could do that with shares but they can't because it's all regulated and i mean there's probably a reason for it being regulated um yeah. <clears throat> and that's good to some degree but um the cool thing with in this whole token space is that people could just try out stuff but, of course, the, the consumers or the investors aren't as protected, right? Yeah. Because you have to do the the whole work of investigating this, right? What the utility does. And so, yeah, yeah. and But, like, generally, I feel that um, <clears throat> for shares, it's the same thing. Like, people, if you inval- evaluate shares, you only look at the business, right? You just look at that. So, that's my... Like, of this article, the core thesis is, like, you. if you look at shares, if you invest in the traditional world, you just like spent, like, probably 99% of your time looking at what the business does and how that's going to improve. And with tokens, you should do that a lot more than you currently do. Like, people who invest in tokens should look more at the business as well. But you also have to look at the mechanisms and the supply and demand dynamics of the thing, because yeah, there's such so much more room for, I'm not, I'm not gonna call it innovation, but like room for parameters to tweak Yeah. in this space. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And this segues perfectly into the next question. So, um, this person said, well, uh, there's many articles out there detailing how bad tokenomics can lead to poor outcomes for investors. But so asked me to like summarize again quickly, like why is it important to understand tokenomics, but also why is it important for projects to do tokenomics correctly? Um, And if I had some examples of like where it was done bad, basically. And I mean, I think there's like an endless amount of (laughs) examples where it's done poorly. Um, And I think some of them are probably intentional, like they, they're scam, you know, they're scammy, they're trying to just extract money from people. But I think a lot of them are, are not intentional. And they just uh, don't really know exactly what the the rules they set in place, kind of which effect they're going to have once it's out there. Um, and I think that's precisely why it's important to understand token what tokenomics is, right? And if I had to give like the brief answer, it's always like, um incentive design right like think, like there's more to it but at the core level to me it's always like um what what are we trying to get people to do and how can we use tokens to to get them to do it and in that context i think it, it becomes uh easier to think to think about it what do you think
0: yeah i definitely agree um it's hmm, yeah it's it's what we what we kind of want them to do but I think it's what is also important. It's it's not just about like what you can use your token to do. It's also why would somebody like go and buy that token, right? And how mm-hmm. does that perhaps tie in with what your business does, or with your project, what it does? You can't just hand out tokens. I mean, it's a great marketing tool. So you could like just give tokens to everyone. And I, I see a lot of um, projects that approach us like, yeah, we we want to give tokens to these guys and to incentivize those guys and these guys and do this and do that. But then like my question always is like, so who's going to buy all these tokens? Cause if nobody's going to buy them, then, well, the, the price is going to suffer from that a lot because if there's no buyers. Then the price is going to drop and keep dropping.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of that and a bit of that tying it to what the, what the actual business does and how that can, um, yeah.
1: <clears throat> well, understand, understand yeah. what the business does and how it creates value first, and then mm-hmm. e- evaluate if there's any mechanisms in place that would somehow connect that value creation to the, to the token. And I mean, that is one aspect of tokenomics where the said mechanism design, um,
0: yeah uh, yeah Yeah. ideally yeah yeah and, and ideally there's, yeah.
1: there's a balance somehow it can create a balance between supply and demand which will have a state a stable price right that would already be fantastic and then if a price keeps going up we'll be even better <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that's what we want right so then you got your the next one is kind of on the yeah. increase in supply so that ties in right um, Yeah.
1: So it's a, it's a more basic question, I guess, but it's uh, still relevant one that gets asked all the time. So how does an increase in supply affect price? Seems like a simple question.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's this, this is not even tokenomics. This is like really basic economics, right? If If there's a lot of stuff being offered, if everybody has something to sell of the same good, then in order to find those buyers, you'll. The, the way you can is to reduce your price. The products are all the same. Like if everybody has great red apples to sell, um, but there's only a few buyers, then the only way you can get rid of your apples is by reducing the price of the apples, right? So this is the same thing here. If, if there's a lot of supply of something and there's only few buyers, then the the price goes down to to find those buyers or to attract those few buyers, right? So the suppliers, basically they compete for the buyers for the demand. And yeah, you, you can either do that by quality of your product um, <clears throat> or by by price here. So in, in this case, like, yeah, if, if you put up more tokens and the, the bid is absent or the buyers are absent from that, then yeah, the price will go down so that's why it's i think it's like just really important to tie it to your business so if you're going to give out let's say 10% of your tokens every year right so then you have 10 years to grow your business to that final size of tokens that you have in the space right you can do that or your token price will just be quite low in the beginning you could do that as well I don't know how shares do it right they if in, in an IPO how many do they typically give to which parties that's not a, not often looked into right I guess it is but
1: well I mean I've previous no equity holders too. in the business would then <clears throat> their equity like from an owning an LLC or whatever I guess would be then just converted to share ownership or something wouldn't it
0: yeah, but, th- but then there's also a few shares that are just like openly sold on the market, right? They probably have mm. an allocation. There's some cap table that they have mm. to calculate all of that. And then, um, but they typically, they don't hold back on selling tokens or shares, right? They, they would just like bite the bullet and have a low share price in the beginning, wouldn't they? Mm. So you start with a very low share price and then over time it grows.
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess you come up with a valuation, like the business is valuated on whatever. Um, and I think that's why you need, an, you need, I, I, don't, I don't understand how IPOs work well enough to be honest, but I think an investment bank is usually involved and they, um, they evaluate the company and then give advice on like how many shares they should issue. And I think they also provide liquidity in the beginning to get the market like you know on launch day like somebody has to be kind of market making and i think that's that's the company that's taking them like that's the bank i think that's taking them public uh, but i'm not 100 sure how that works yeah i, I guess that's
0: it it, it kind of works similar in that regard i think that there's um, someone providing that liquidity that make the market and and uh and trade it. But I feel like a lot of corporations, they start, they're just happy with starting with a lower share price. Whereas in wow. the token space, a lot of people are like, going for these optics of starting at a certain token price. I mean, with shares, there's probably the same, right? With some corporations doing that. So I haven't really, maybe that's something that could be interesting to, to look into, right? Like who's who's trying to do what with their, at their, at their IPO versus at their Token launch, right? I'm just looking at Amazon. So when they launched their token, their shares in 1997 at 0.09 cents, then and that's probably accounting for all sorts of share splits that they might might have had, whatever. Yeah, yeah, now like a single share is worth 119. Um, And others they've started at much higher prices per share, but that doesn't mean that the market cap is any higher, right? It's just, yeah, I guess it's all psychology and optics um, on how they how they manage that.
1: Yeah, and then there's uh, Berkshire Hathaway, right? The original shares are like $400,000 or something because they never did a stock split. Um, yeah. But I think they do have a different type of share, like a different <clears throat> class that has a lower class price. Span. Yeah, Yeah. but um, they just never split. (laughs) Didn't go and started, probably started high and going higher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Um. Okay. So then, so there was a protocol specific question um early on because I think I used uh, Ethereum as an example for some of the stuff that I was explaining in the course. Um. And so, of course, touched on the ethereum 2.0 transition and somebody asked me straight up like okay so is ethereum 2.0 now inflationary or deflationary and you said
0: i've got no idea but look I'm at ultrasound dot money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i said depends on how the market works right
0: yeah i don't even know it's i mean but they've it's... got this this chart and someone tweeted recently that it's not long until Uh, they're going to go deflationary.
1: So for sure, before merge, the uh, the, well, for sure we know Ethereum does not have a cap, right? There's no supply cap like Bitcoin. Um, During the mining process, when it was still proof of work work mining, miners were rewarded with um, ETH tokens that were minted, I guess coins, theoretically, because they have their own blockchain. Um, they were minted into existence and that's how the supply was uh, not capped and could theoretically be inflationary forever. But since that's done away now, since post-merge, there's no more proof of work. So miners don't have as high of expenses anymore. Um, so now, from what I understand, they get only paid from transaction fees and a part of the transaction fees is actually burned during every transaction. So that means miners actually go get, I think, only like 70% of transaction fees. Um, or I guess I don't in this know how much is burned, yeah. Yeah, like that. And so that means not only have we have they, not we, I wasn't involved, but um, they have reduced the kind of emissions of new uh coins dramatically. Um and so now in, in fact in burning, but so now it depends on the transaction volume and so forth. To see if that'll actually tip it into deflationary territory, and if uh, I guess if there's low transaction volume, then it won't have a large effect or something like that. That's how I understand well, it.
0: Yeah, if the transaction volume is high, then it will get there quicker, right? Because it will be burning more. Yeah. Um, more of that. E. We'll be burning more than, um, yeah, what is created through these uh, staking rewards. For the for the stakers and validators. And I think they've even projected something when when that might happen. They have like this supply peak, which they predict around twenty fourth of October. That's yesterday. Shit. So we might already be deflationary as we speak.
1: Well, it's up one and a half percent today. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Let's see how it goes. Um, I don't
0: know. Maybe maybe I'm just reading this chart wrong, but I think it could. They're projecting it could get into that territory where, um, kind of like all the supply that is like the lower supply that is coming in through staking, has already been burnt through the transactions that are happening. So I think there's something on along the lines of we're going to have uh, mildly deflationary, and then it would catch up again. And be this uh, mildly inflationary or at least very low deflation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is very This is a very interesting site. So, anybody that wants to <clears> study this <throat> in detail, ultrasound.money looks like a fun place to play around and learn. <laughs> um, yeah. What type of price effect do we expect this to have on ETH? Uh, we don't, don't give know. investment advice. However, <laughs> um in my personal opinion if you reduce supply and demand for eth remains stable or high uh, ideally even increases right then that would result in a higher price but as to how high it might go is anybody's guess
0: and Uh, i mean you're you're assuming that demand stays the same right
1: yes exactly if at least at least the same ideally ideally over time it goes up purely because yeah. there's so much activity on eth like lots of uh, devs building whatever d apps and new nft projects launching and everybody that needs to transact in the network needs ETH to pay for gas right and that's the ultimate demand driver i think for it uh, yeah. yeah yeah so assuming that demand keeps growing and supply gets reduced then that should drive the price up but when or how high is anybody's guess um yeah. So then protocol specific other questions. So Uniswap is also a well-liked example. Uh, because quick backstory, we've talked about this at length, including in an article and community talk and podcasts, maybe has come around already. I'm not sure. Um, Uniswap created a token they launched without a token, right? Because they don't actually they don't actually strictly theoretically need it. Um, but of course, we've said before tokens have lots of uh Um, uh, benefits to a project including you know uh, you know getting people to stick around being more loyal using it as a marketing tool and many others Um, and so they launched a token as a response to SushiSwap forking their code and kind of trying to steal other liquidity away from their liquidity pools but so when you look at the uni token um, then you see that the uni treasury only has uni tokens in it and there's not there doesn't seem to be any mechanism to ever replenish these so that basically means um the dao governance who holds these uni tokens can decide and vote to spend them on stuff like i don't know they can pay for developers or they could pay for marketing or they could pay for whatever whatever they decide but then how would the treasury ever be replenished Um, currently
0: it's not um but that's just how they've designed their token right it's yeah, it's, they've just built it that way, that there's no more, no new tokens coming in, into the treasury. And there's speculation on this fee switch, like we've done, <clears throat> there's an article on it, there's a, we've done a tweet thread on it, we can link that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that's what they have, right? There's no new tokens coming in. And uh, if they were to implement this fee switch, then uh, there might but they might take a cut off of the... Like currently, if you do a a swap on Uniswap, you change USDC for ETH or something like that, you pay a fee, but that fee goes to the liquidity providers and none of that goes to Uniswap itself, um, to the DAO. And there's speculations of this fee switch. That means that they would implement something where the fee slightly increases or whatever, and they take um, some of it. They get a part of that fee, and that goes to the treasury. And so the treasury would have an inflow uh, of whatever token currently doesn't. So they're only living off of that genesis supply and off of the fact that people think their token is worth something. That's why they can use it for um, doing stuff, buying stuff or funding developers. Um, Yeah. That's kind of how that works.
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. I think it's very interesting because I think Uniswap overall is, is really cool, um, like a, a very cool decentralized exchange. Um, still the dominant one by. Um, what do you call that? Value locked or like liquidity they provide? Total value locked. Yeah. Yeah, but the token is still is kind of still under development. Like they will probably keep adding. <clears throat> I assume they'll keep adding features to it, and how that whole tokenomics of it works, um, which I think is actually is actually a great way to do it. You know, launch and then give yourself the freedom to make improvements later on. Probably the only way to get to something to a really good system, because I think it's very hard to kind of have all the answers ahead of time, anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. um so yeah, so we've got two valuation questions. So um with especially with a really early project so like there's no revenue yet um that's kind of the i think the underlying assumption what would be a good way to evaluate to value an early project in the tokenomics space well, i don't, know, I don't
0: know that's that's
1: yeah i know it's a tough question tough, I also Right, to we've
0: got this one. evaluation framework right and it goes into um a few of these questions right. It's, it definitely needs like a a new version and we've been looking into creating that but essentially the idea was that when we evaluate tokens it'd be cool if we had this tool that would help us to go through take us through a couple of questions and then tell us if it's a good idea to um to invest in that and i think that might be something that also helps people to understand right, to to evaluate these early projects. So since it doesn't have any revenue or maybe doesn't do anything at all yet, it's, you can't really use fundamentals such as a price to sales ratio, because even if it doesn't have any, like price to sales is meant for early projects, (laughs) but if they don't have any revenue yet, then that's too early for that even. So you can't really use any metrics other than that. You could maybe use something like the, the user base, but generally, the evaluation framework, we start with questions around like how will the project gain value? And and that then implies you have to look at how they first create value, right? And then how will that increase over time? Um, look at the competitive advantage. Um, you can look at the the token, like why the token has value. How is that maybe connected to the value gaining of the of the project? And um, right, like try and find out about that correlation in general. Um, yeah, there's a few aspects around Ponzi that we look into in that in that framework. I'd like that, um, if it if it promises any returns, uh, yeah, that those are, I think kind of the things that you can you can look into early on. like the users maybe, um, total value lock. there's a, a bunch of other, uh, metrics, and then of course, the, and I guess we'll get on to that later as well. Like the whole vesting and supply, how are they dealing with that? Right? Are there like a ton of tokens coming on the market very quickly, and does that sort of tie with how the business, how you think the business is going to grow? Right. So if the if you think the business is going to grow from a thousand users to ten million users, yeah, then you can probably. Um, then it can probably handle dumping out a lot of tokens. But if it doesn't, then, yeah, you might want to look for some slower uh, vesting or unlock of tokens.
1: Yeah, yeah. so exactly what you said. So good good rule of thumb, if you're like, okay, token supply is going to increase uh, 10% year on year, then that roughly means the business has to grow 10% to keep up the demand. And that doesn't seem like a crazy number, 10% per year. If the supply increases by a hundred or more then that, you know, that means whatever the business is doing right now, they have to 10 X. Right. And that's not, that's, that's, that's questionable at best in my opinion. (laughs) So, so then, um, yeah. And then I think a good place to look always is that kind of the gap between um, total supply that, if i mean if there's one set for the token um what's the difference between total supply and circulating supply and if that is a large gap um then that should give you pause because then you have to really look okay well how is this how is kind of the remaining tokens that are not in circulating supply yet how and when will they be introduced to the market um because those could be really big drawdowns in price otherwise when if they come in all at once or if there's not like a a good kind of logic or reason behind introducing them in a in a way that uh hopefully in a way that produces supply but also in a way stimulates demand for it that would be ideal yeah like uh,
0: who's gonna buy them right
1: yeah who's gonna buy them yeah and then um i mean so that that one question that was here it's a little formula a little clumsy i think you kind of um answered it already but so somebody else in the Twitter space also asked me like, where does the money come from that pushes the token price up? And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's, that, that's the question, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I mean, so just one thing, like the markets, the, question. Are, they're very, the markets are very cyclical, right? So we know we have these bull runs. They're uh, usually like a year or something, year and a half, where it keeps just keep. it seems like it just keeps going higher and higher forever, but then um, sure enough, there will be a bear, bear market to follow. Um, and then during the bull runs, like the money, I mean, new users entering the space, they're often unexperienced, they don't know what to look at, and they just, um, it's a little bit human psychology, you just see that something's gone up, uh, say maybe you've watched it for five days, right, and you see every day it goes up 10%, and you're like, well, screw it, I'm, I'm jumping in, right, now. it's going to keep going up, and I don't want to miss it, um, and then and then maybe if you're early, then it might still go up way more, or it might not. It might have been already past the top and it keeps going down. But so the point is where does the money come from, right? Like the whole point of what we're trying to study in tokenomics style is to find out how to make this stuff sustainable and um, help projects achieve the goals that they're trying to achieve using the token. And if the goal for them was, hey, I just want to make a quick ten million, and then I want to burn all my investors, like we probably we probably wouldn't help them with that. <laughs> so we're trying to figure this out for real and help people build businesses that last um, in in this space. Yeah, so reeling that back to the already uh, mentioned investing and allocation. So got a couple of questions here. So vesting periods. What happens when? an unlocking time is near is that a is that a buy or a sell signal right what do you think Flo?
0: yeah maybe first like briefly explain um what what this is right we've got the um you've got like your total amount of total number of tokens you come up you can just um make up anything so you have 10 million and then you can decide whether to like then you decide who you allocate these tokens to. You might have to give some to investors to raise some money. You might have some team members that work with you. You've got to give some to them. Maybe there's some other areas like the community might want to give some tokens to. And then, so that's who you're going to give them to. But then there's this time aspect of over what time frame are you going to give that to them? You could give them to them at on the very first day that of course, introduces the problem that they could just also sell it on the very first day. And you might not want that because you might want um you might need some time to build up your project and so vesting kind of or unlocking does that right it it regulates how quickly your tokens um can be sold over time and um yeah so i guess like when the unlocking time is near um it, it depends on when these people have have bought right so let's say the, and and often what we don't see, like what normal retail investors don't see, you'll get, you'll see a token price of a token for one dollar at launch. You think like, oh, that's great. I'm going to buy the token. So you're going to buy the token at one dollar, and then it, it might go up to, um, one dollar and ten. Uh, but what you typically don't see, or what people should know, is that there's also these like pre-seed and pre-whatever seed round um, where investors get in prior to the launch. And that also happens with IPOs, right? Like if if Warren Buffett buys into some shares, he typically doesn't get into the price that you get in, he gets in lower than that Um, and before that. So you have to know that when the unlock or when people are able to sell, um, when these investors are able to sell, they're in most cases sitting on more gains than you have if you have bought in at the at that point, right? So they might have gotten the token not for one dollar, but they may might have gotten it for fifty cents. So they already have doubled their money at the day of IPO, and they're like ready to sell. And everything that goes up from there, they're happy to um, to take these gains. Um, so when that unlock happens, then maybe after after a year or so, and the token trades at um, one dollar and ten. Those that would have bought at fifty cents, they're they still doubled their money, right? And you might only have made ten um, percent, uh, so that ten cents, right? But yeah, it's it's kind of uh, that's how how to see it. So there's then these tokens coming into the market, but if the token trades at a lower price than what these early investors would have gotten onto, then maybe they won't, right? It, it all depends. You have to look at where are the other people who are in this have um have uh what price they have have bought in i think that's the that's the important one
1: yeah and typically
0: exactly. you can find that out somewhere like on coin gecko or on misari there's different sites that have that information on not always but in in most cases, they'll have that information on what valuations this stuff was um was traded at and how do long the testing
1: periods are. And and uh, in your experience, do they disclose those? Like um, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, they don't have to, but if you just go to CoinGecko, they'll they'll have that in there.
1: Um Yeah, there was a good example, right? Most, it was a whole whole um Article by Kobe on um, what is it? What is it called? Incentives, uh, incentive structures, or something? And he had uh, a couple of good examples in there. On Casta Token, um, also covering that one as a case study in the course. And I think pre-seed investors got in for for pennies, right? And then on the on the launch day, uh, price went up already to a dollar. So in that case. You might have early investors sitting on, you know, 20, 30, 50 X profits. And then because like often when, when I look at these charts, I'm asking myself, like, who's still selling, right? Like the thing went up on day one for like 80 cents and $1.10 maybe and something. So that means most people paid, uh, you know, close to a dollar for it. And then you see the price just going down and down and down. Uh, you know 50 cents 40 cents 30 cents is like so is everybody just selling at a loss like who are these motivated sellers well it's yeah, because right. they even at 30 cents they might still be locking in 5x profits right so they're yeah. like well no skin of my nose I guess this is never going up so I'll just dump it and yeah. if you just if you're not even aware that this is a possibility then you can get yourself into a position that the, pro- the professional term is called being a bag holder <laughs> we <laughs> We don't want you to be a backholder. Yeah, be careful um, with that. Been there myself plenty of times. Not in this particular case, but...
0: No, but you, yeah, you, if you go to um, CoinGecko, there's underneath the uh, the stats, you can see a tab for tokenomics, and then you click on that. Sometimes they'll have that information in there. When right, so we just look click at- on... Maybe not Ethereum, but... but on something smaller, a project, you know, like Chainlink, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm. Do I miss them? Oh.
0: Yeah. Or just anything, we will do. Yeah, and then you click on the tokenomics tab, and then scroll. They have the allocation, so that like Link was given to public token sale, 35%, no, not operators got 35 and the company got 30. And then underneath that, you'll see the supply schedule, meaning when these tokens were unlocked. And then also you can see down there, what are the fund rounds for Chainlink? So they raised 29 million on the 19th of September at an average price of 0.09 cents. And so that's, what well, you have to know, right? Like these early investors they got in at, at these prices so if Chainlink is trading higher than that which it probably is it's trading at almost seven dollars now so they're sitting on uh some nice gains there but it's also been five years right yeah but even if you go back to launch right they've so I assume they launched, maybe they launched on November 9th, 2017, they launched at 22 cents. So from point, that's like more than two X, right? From 0.09 at launch. So if there was no vesting, these investors, they've just doubled their money. So they might sell half of it and let the let the remaining part um, ride oh, yeah. risk-free, right? <laughs> well, it makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, cool.
1: investing. Yeah, we'll link that resource. That's a handy one. Um. Okay. So then, next question was: uh, How does allocation to the community affect the price? Because the majority of protocols seem to allocate quite a bit to community. Is that good or bad? Um. Depends. Yeah, depends, right? Generally, generally, I think that. A uh, reasonable amount of allocation to community is probably a signal that they want to be decentralized in some way. They want their tokens in a lot of hands and that, sh- that can be a good thing, right? Yeah, do you think yeah, about
0: I mean, but, but you have to look into it, right? Like, so there's recently this Aptos, I think Aptos is what it's called, this layer one blockchain. They launched mm-hmm. and there was a lot of controversy around um, them not disclosing where their token went through. I think they had a community, they called it a community allocation of a ton of tokens, like a large percentage. And upon digging deeper, you could find out that community meant um, their own company and some other investor advisor thing, right? So it's just like labeled as community because people think it's, oh, that's great. It's going to the community. Um, But yeah, it's a lot of dodgy shit going on. You can, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you you really have to look into that. So just because it's called for allocating tokens to the community doesn't mean anything.
1: Right. Yeah. It's often a a label that's used, right? People are like, Oh, that's great. Community owned, right. They're like thinking of like the employee owned company or something like that, but it's not, doesn't, you have to dig deep. You have to understand if that's really what it means or if it's just a label.
0: And that's where like, sometimes you, you won't even, you won't, even find that stuff in the white paper. And then if if that's not the case, then that should be a red flag. Right. Well, like, well so know, we write a lot of these articles, all the tokenomics 101 articles, that's exactly what we try and find out. is like, where do these tokens go to? How are they used? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, sometimes it's just not possible to find out.
1: Yeah, if you have to go all the way to like the discord and ask them to find something that's, a, that's definitely not ideal. Transparency should like, just like the fact if if a project's trying to not be transparent with their numbers should be a red flag, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then the next one is: uh, What happens when a seed investor sells locked tokens to another investor? Um, how would this affect price of the token? So this is kind of like an off-market transaction, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think that this happens a whole lot, to be honest. Um, Or maybe it does, but I guess- I think it does.
0: Yeah, why not?
1: But it's, so this is kind of this off-market transaction. So once the investor gets in early, um, maybe they want to, the problem is that lock tokens are not liquid, right? They can't sell them on an exchange. So then they would have to line up another uh, party to buy them off of them. Um, And so they, you know, they have to negotiate a price and then they can do a transaction for this. I don't. I mean, they would have to come up with a price between the two of them if there's not a market price yet. Like if the token is like not traded on an exchange at all. Um, if it is changed on, traded on trade on an uh, exchange, then there'll probably be a discount because they're locked, or maybe because it's a very large uh, allocation of some something. Maybe even there's a premium. Who knows, right? But that will be between those two making a transaction. I don't think this will affect price on the exchange um, because effectively from like circulating supply standpoint, nothing happened and there was no, this was like, like a kind of a, you, like you, you call it black market transaction earlier, but I guess not strictly black market, but it's off market no, for no. sure. Yeah.
0: Um, but then at the time when the unlock <laughs> happens, right? They might not sit on as many gains Yep. anymore right so that might affect at the time of unlock who's going to sell so maybe if there's been a lot of and i'm not sure if it's going to if it happens that much but if there's been a lot of these seed investor to seed investors sa- sale of locked tokens then um they might not sell as many tokens at unlock because they're not sitting on on uh the amount of gains right but it's, i mean it's, it's also It's up to the negotiation, right? Maybe they might not even be able to sell them at a profit. Maybe the the guy who buys them locked might even get them for a cheaper price because the the party who's selling them might need money. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. There's all sorts of things can happen. I've got no idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's uh, say investor one gets in early for cheap and then price goes up, I don't know, 10X, right? Um, And then they sell to another seed investor. Um, Then investor one has now realized gains, right? They've made all this money. They're happy. But, and I think it is a signal of confidence, right? So if another large investor comes in and kind of takes their tokens off of them, then that at least means they're confident that price will uh, have a positive development long-term. So I think if you somehow became aware of a transaction like that, I don't think that that's a negative signal I mean, you do have to look into kind of the details as to what their motivations might be to do that. But uh, I don't think there will be a direct impact on price. And if anything, it, it might even be positive long-term. <laughs> Less selling pressure.
0: <clears throat> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, uh, we had one uh, person on the call who asked lots of very specific questions <laughs> around <laughs> this topic. Um, and there's still ongoing discussion mm-hmm. in the Discord in the mm-hmm. Tokenomics chat. So if you're interested, please come and uh, check this out. Um, so here it is one version of that. Instead of vesting tokens, why don't projects lock them in an immutable treasury and only pay out staking rewards? So I guess the nuance here would be that, um, I guess the, ba- the basic assumption is that the tokens that vest would be minted, right? So they would, they would increase supply. I think that's the underlying assumption behind this question. And so instead of increasing supply, make all the supply available, lock it and then just unlock it to pay staking rewards rather than minting them so it's just it's a nuance right and in my honest my first reaction to this question was like there's no difference but uh what do you think flu yeah
0: i'm just thinking like i mean even if it was in the treasury it wouldn't count as circulating supply right so it wouldn't impact that much i think so i don't think it makes a lot of difference I think if you have vesting, then it is a bit more rigid of who gets the tokens, because you'll have in the vesting contract, you'll have like a specific wallet that can claim the tokens and no one else can. Whereas with if you do staking rewards, those with the highest capital can get access to these tokens. And and yeah, the, the, the price is dynamic. So there is a reason for why you do vesting is because you've done some pre or early sales with people to get yourself money for the project um and you don't want them to sell early so it's it's i, I guess just like something very different but impact on the price yeah yeah tricky i don't know <laughs>
1: Right I mean I think the key piece that you said is if they're in the treasury they're not considered part of circulating supply um yeah. usually right because they they underlie some sort of governance that has to make a decision to spend them or sell them yeah do something with them so they're not uh they're not liquid in that sense
0: Yeah they I don't think like coinGecko and sites like that they count them as circulating supply so Yeah, yeah.
1: Right, so we're getting into mechanisms now. Um, can you give an example of why buying a token and then burning it is a powerful mechanism? So I think this question was asked based on something that I had said during the presentation, and that was maybe a way for a project to kind of create uh, buying pressure is by using some of their revenue, which is assuming they have some, right? <laughs> um, they take some of their revenue and they buy their own token and then they burn it. That might be create a uh, buying pressure and also would uh, reduce supply. So now do you, well, if this were the case for well, what would you think about this mechanism?
0: First, like it, it doesn't sound too bad, um, but it's this indirect mechanism with which you try to increase your token price. Maybe you will have better avenues to use that token So there's this one, there's an article that talks about that. And it um, basically argues that if you hold, like you buy back these tokens, but you hold them and then you reinvest them um, into the growth of your business, that might be favorable. Stop burning tokens. I think it's that one now. Yeah, so it's kind of like this. Put them back into your business instead of just burning them um
1: how would you put them back? Guess, into-
0: well you could you could use them for grant programs let's say mm-hmm. or you could use them for uh to, to yeah fund certain initiatives um
1: and maybe then you, fund, you fund them with token instead right so you buy them back yeah and you give them to people to do stuff with them yeah that makes sense That that would that should definitely make pie bigger right so rather than reducing supply which might might have a positive impact but uh allowing people to build on top of your innovation that that always sounds like a good idea
0: yeah and so the idea is then you have these tokens you give them out to people who build stuff and these those people build stuff they might see themselves then as owners of the project so they might not sell all of these tokens they might hold on to some because they feel themselves as owners because they built a part of the project so it's this yeah like you said making the pie bigger that's kind of the argument of that but yeah i mean burning can also work um i don't see a reason why why not it's just like if you i think like if you have this programmed in to some smart contract that says like oh every month we're going to go and buy um tokens yeah you might not always get the most favorable conditions for buying and burning.
1: Right, that's for sure.
0: But it, yeah, I mean, you could also argue that dollar cost averaging is a better strategy than trying to time the market. But I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean if it was very substantial buys and you would always do them on the same day, people would start front running them, but if you kind of yeah. keep it in the dark, maybe you have yeah. some more um some logic behind it when you buy like only certain market conditions or something then yeah i think generally if you have excess revenue buying back your token is probably that in general i don't really see why that would be a bad idea but as to how you do it and what you do with the token i guess that's the question
0: yeah depends on a lot Um, of things i think yeah
1: but so yeah exactly but general i mean if a project has enough revenue (laughs) (laughs) from their value creation to even buy tokens that's that's already great
0: um you might want to diversify right you might not want because you have already have so many of your own tokens, you might want to hold other assets and you might be happy to keep that USDC revenue that you have.
1: Yeah, true. Maintain some liquidity throughout the bear market, for example.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Okay. So because regulatory clarity of token burning is missing, do you feel like there could be another solution that you could, so where you could send tokens until you get a green light from regulators. So this question caught me a little off guard because I was not aware that there is regulatory uncertainty around token burning. Um, have you heard this?
0: I'm not an expert. Yeah. I've, I've got no idea. I've, I haven't heard this. I heard like, you know, dividends. You're not allowed to pay up dividends. Yeah. But I, I don't know about burning, what that does. Yeah.
1: Got yeah. No and idea. So, and so yeah. the... The, the asker had suggested well instead we could just put them in a vault and wait but it would still remove them from circulating supply and i'm like well i mean a burn is just sending them to a zero wallet where i mean they cannot be recovered which i guess would be the difference but um it, i mean doesn't seem that big of a difference i i, I assume it just be if if people like if project decided to just send their tokens into a vault that they do have the key to then i'm like uh, rather i mean then then i'm back go back to a previous question well then rather just set up a grant and fund stuff with it right like that doesn't that seems to make a lot more sense than to just hold them yeah um,
0: yeah yeah exactly totally 100 yeah and i don't know what i've got no idea like what counts as a circulating supply yeah right? like, it is it, does it count if they're in a smart contract and they can only get out if if there is more than four people required to get them out or like, what is it that makes something not circulating?
1: It goes to the whole question of, is our staked tokens part of circulating supply? And I think projects want to say, no, they're not. But then in effect, I mean, so there was also some discussion on Discord about that. Yeah, um, Where Sextus had said, well, he did a study on it. Unfortunately, we don't have a link to it. Um, and he said there was very little effect on, uh, price, because usually the people that stake the tokens can also unstake them just as easily. Very liquid, yeah. yeah. So it's exactly, and and then even if it's not, then it, you know, there's often then kind of add-on projects come into existence where they're like, oh, you have your tokens locked for a year. Well, here's our liquid staking yeah. Yeah. kind of derivative <laughs> that makes it tradable again and stuff. Yeah. So it's like it seems to not to not really be that locked. Um, yeah, yeah. So that kind of True. puts a whole question mark behind the stake rewards in the in the first place but this always brings me back to you know where does the staking come from originally and it's from proof of stake blockchains where the mechanism is to put capital at risk and you you promise to say hey i put this capital at risk and i promise to validate transactions truthfully but if you don't, then this capital can also get slashed, right? And so yeah, that is yeah. and that is why because you're providing a service to the network. You're, this this validation of transactions is kind of the uh, the product of that blockchain, right? That's and you're helping create that, and so you get paid to do that. That's the yeah, staking yeah. reward. But then so many projects have just started. Oh, just just lock them and we'll give you more token, and that's kind of silly, right? It doesn't actually provide any value. It's just a loose promise to say, oh, I, I won't sell today. But it's not really... Well, yeah, any-
0: yeah, you, yeah, and you got to be careful, right? Not calling it locking because you're not locking. Mm. You're just like, yeah, yeah, you're placing a hold that you can revoke at any time. I mean, there's different ways. There's some staking contracts that you have like a 20-day wait period or something. Um, then they're locked for some time at least. Um, but if you're just this plain staking and you can withdraw re- at any time, like what does it do, right? If you want to sell your tokens, you can go and sell them. Just yeah. withdraw them from it and then sell them.
1: Anyway, yeah, yeah. Even if it's a couple of weeks lock, I mean, yeah, I don't think it makes that big of an impact. Uh, that Yeah, sort of. yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a question around governance. So how does staking for governance rights work and who benefits?
0: I think it's the same. Like staking for governance rights, Doesn't make any sense to me. Like You might as well just let holders of tokens vote. Um, But yeah, then there's this whole VE thing where you lock tokens for a longer amount of time. And that might give some more commitment to uh, these these token holders, right? Mm -hmm. Because if they're willing to lock up their token for a certain amount of time, then they might be more committed to the project. and thus make better governance decisions.
1: I mean, that's a theory, right?
0: That's a theory. I can't, like, who can prove that?
1: If it, I mean, with the uh, balancer VE tokens, there's a requirement to also put an ETH with it, right?
0: Yeah, um, wrapped ETH, you have to, yeah, yeah. You have to pool uh, balancer, the balancer token and wrapped ETH to get this other token. And then you can lock up that other token to Receive um, the VE token that allows you to vote.
1: But and so here, I mean, I don't really know if that's just extra steps <laughs> or if that's meaningful. But it feels meaning more meaningful to me because I'm like, if I lock my ETH, then I'm definitely foregoing opportunity cost or something like. I mean, I might incur some opportunity cost. Um, so that might in fact make me more committed to the project, but I'm not really sure if it's not really the same, um, if it's still not mostly the same as staking for governance. But I mean, in, in general, the idea that you have to be kind of a substantial token holder or staker in this case to get, for example, the to be allowed, for example, to make a proposal in governance, that does seem to make sense because you're filtering for um yeah people that have accumulated a large amount of your token and so you don't want somebody who has like one token or 0.1 token to come in and make a proposal because even just reading and working through those proposals can be time consuming yeah so that makes sense in a way but then at the same time you're also making your the influence is kind of put up for sale in a way so i don't really know I, i don't have like a definitive opinion on this yet I, um, but i i kind of have to admit i've also have to get to see governance to really make like a real positive difference i guess i mean and i'm sure it's just my own ignorance i'm sure this project works great but um yeah i, don't know. I mean i've seen many like governance polls where it's like the there's only 10 percent or whatever is even coming in for a vote and i'm like well that doesn't really seem like a very engaged community
0: sounds like the standard democracy not even worse (laughs) right (laughs)
1: yeah um okay so moving on Uh, how come we predict that burning a certain amount of tokens at a certain market cap will result in a certain effect on price um this was like okay so for example this was also uh, there's still i think also discussion in the tokenomics chat on discord about this there's like different ideas behind that but so generally speaking i don't believe that you can't that it's that simple so you by saying okay i'm going to burn five percent of my supply that means five price should go up five percent like it's not that the correlation is not that simple um it always depends on the underlying supply and demand characteristics so previously mentioned briefly that CASTA token like this influencer token that had really cheap pre-sales and then went like to a dollar on launch day. Well, in the analysis that Kobe did in his article, he uncovered that only, I think, two and a half percent of total supply were even up for sale on launch day. So that means only two, like just repeating that, only two and a half percent of supply were even on the exchanges to be traded that day. So it was an extreme supply shortage, which made it even possible that um, price could go up that high. But so that means if in that context, if it, that day you would have increased supply by 8%, that would have made a massive difference, right? So that would have made price maybe 30% lower or something. Um, so like very small tweaks to supply can make a massive difference, but it always depends on the context. Uh, so I don't think that there's, there's no simple correlation, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't what think, do you think?
0: Yeah. No, I think like generally you can assume that if you take, if everything stays the same, and you take them out of circulation, that would be favorably, but like, who knows if everything stays the same, hardly ever does, right? There's also, there's anything that can happen. And I don't think you could predict this.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay, next one, second to last question. So what is the alternative way for the protocol to provide rewards after tokens are all vested? So what is it, yeah, so how can you, how can protocols provide reward without tokens? Basically, well, um, you could
0: all, yeah, alternatively, you could just provide a great product. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, provide a product and make your actually.
0: customers pay for the great product instead yeah. of paying them to use your product. Right. I think I, I think this is really really important. That and like the a lot of projects get wrong or or fail at is. <clears throat> tokens are great for this cold start problem right you want to start this marketplace and you want to get people going and using it because you need buyers and sellers on your marketplace to both come and so a token can be good to do that so you you'll maybe you'll take a time frame of 6 months a year and you're going to give out token to these people to come use your marketplace but then at some point you have to stop because otherwise they're only there on their platform because you pay them for it but that's, of course, that can't be your business model. Your business model should be that you're adding some benefit of them trading. You're giving them this platform, and they like that because on this platform, they can reach so many buyers and sellers, each other, that they'll stay not for the token rewards, but they'll stay because it's a great platform to use, right? And and so then, yeah, you might not need any more of that. But if you do, and you might want to, let's say you... You've launched your platform, it all went great. And now you want this second thing that you want to launch. You want to get people to use that. From that, you could, you could perhaps from that revenue you've made, you could buy back tokens or you could use these bought back tokens to then reinvest them into these incentive programs in new things. But I think it's really, really important that people get off of this. Um, yeah, get get off of this cold start problem. Like once you've started, like stop at some point. And make sure that your business also works.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think your answer was way better than the one I gave, but mine was, I think, well, pulling up Uniswap example again, right? So Uniswap worked great, and the reward was just trading fees to liquidity providers. They didn't need any token. They just paid them out of the tokens that were traded. I mean, the fees that people paid to trade. Um, so they, it was ETH, right? So they just used ETH because that's what everybody wants anyway. <laughs> um, rather than convincing them that your token is somehow also good, uh, you can just uh, pay rewards in something else. I mean, here in tokenomics style, we have revenue in USDC or some other stable uh, dollar stable coins. And so we pay out rewards with that. That yeah, every, Nobody's turned it down yet. So <laughs> it works great. I'll take it. Yeah. Um, So, final question, and this one was, uh, this is like one of those, if if we knew the answer, then um, we'd already be rich. Um, How do you create a token? So it's it's asked a little clumsily, but I'll explain. So how do you create a token um, with a mix of projects so that you can be insulated from an event such as the blow up of Terra Luna? So it means kind of, first of all, I guess, how can you uh, uncover instability in an ecosystem Um, Is there, like, things to look out for? And the other thing is, um, could Terra Luna have diversified to such a point where basically the the blow-up would have not happened? What do you think?
0: Wow. I mean, they tried. Tried buying Bitcoin, but ultimately the doom loop was too strong. And um, since it was not backed uh, enough people didn't believe in it right so it's a belief system and the belief system failed and if you don't have anything or guns to back up your belief system then yeah people people stop believing in it and and if they don't if they don't believe in it being able to hold par with the dollar then they're going to sell it right because that's what i would do um and and so you start doing that. And 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 then we've got the same supply-demand thing that we talked about all the like the whole podcast now is like if there's nobody willing to buy it, then uh yeah, you gotta sell it for cheaper to attract these remaining buyers um that are gonna go for it. But I think generally diversification is 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 always good, is always important. You don't wanna have all your eggs in one basket, as they say. And I don't know if that's the the, the idea of the question, right? But like, I think it's always good to have, if you're investing generally, to have a bunch of different assets if you want to play it safe. If you're more like, I want to get rich quick, it might be good to gamble all your money on some, uh, uh, yeah, interesting project that you think can 10x, 100x, whatever. But if you're more playing it safe, it, yeah, probably good to diversify.
1: Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> there was people describing the the doom loop right ahead of time, ahead of the blow up on Twitter with quite detail, with a lot of detail. And it was uh, Do Kwon was like famously making fun of it, saying you you crazy. Um, but you know, hindsight always twenty twenty. So I don't I don't really know the. I think the, I think a lot of the signs were there, but it's just hard to also make yourself listen when the Luna token had. You know had gone up so much, like you know, a couple of thousand percent over a short amount of time. Um, but then I guess something that I had experienced for the first time was really this like ecosystem risk, I guess. Where <clears throat> not, I mean, obviously the stablecoin melted down, but um what I didn't quite realize is that even if you had ETH or other assets like Avax or whatever on that chain, it also was worth less all of a sudden, right? and yeah. it and it well, I was like well, now thinking about it's like well it's obvious right because it's just um it all it's basically exchanged you're, you're transferring it into that value system and if the whole thing goes down then your assets go with it even if it's uh some form of wrapped eth or something like that but um this goes back to yeah knowing knowing what you're getting yourself into ahead of time and trying to understand these systems and if you don't understand them then Better not invest right? unless it's money you have to lose, uh, and you're, yeah, you're just you're playing, right? You're playing, and I think I mean playing around can also be a really great learning tool. So like, um, I've. But don't bet the hard... farm
0: on playing around, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But don't bet the farm. Don't bet anything you can't afford to lose. Um, I do think taking like a small investment in the product, a project, is a good way to also make you care enough to then go and do the research, so it might motivate you. <laughs> But in that but then definitely it's a small amount, right? Um yeah.
0: I guess like one more thing on that is I think what people always do wrong is when they're invested in some project, all they do is like they go into this echo chamber and try to look for confirmation, right? They nobody wants to go and hear somebody bashing the thing that you've just bet the farm on, right? That you don't want to hear that so you try to avoid it but that is what you should be hearing or what you should be listening to the people who say like no man this is not going to fly for these obvious reasons so that's what you should look into and dig into right not the not the ones that say like oh this project is going to do 100x it's going to be worth 20 billion by then and going to do that right that that's that's like useless because you're invested anyway so who cares um you want to hear the what could go wrong or why yeah. it wouldn't work or why it only increases by one percent in the next 10 years
1: yeah definitely, definitely uh that definitely resonates with me because i lost a lot of money in that blow up and <laughs> i knew i guess i knew better and i still didn't listen right
0: it's hard but yeah
1: nothing uh luckily nothing i can recover from but definitely still sucks oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 true um yeah i thought this was cool to go through these questions um thank you flo for giving a lot of background on that and i think we got some good resources to link to as well which i'll also probably integrate into the course because i think having these is also all it's all about like helping people to kind of do the research themselves and of you know using finding the resources using the resources and, um, yeah, well, of course also link to the course in case you're interested, should be fully available all five chapters here by the end of October. Um, so basically this week, end of this week and yeah, well, this will probably not the last time we're going to come and talk about basics of tokenomics, because I think there's always, uh, interesting questions to discuss. And, and if you um, have
0: anything send it through, right. We're happy to talk about topics that you guys are interested in, um, Yeah, let us know Yeah, Discord, Twitter, wherever, email, write us a letter,
1: anything. Anything, exactly. All the channels um, are open. Cool. All right. This podcast
0: was not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly educational and is not investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice. Talk to your accountant, do your own research. None of this is legal advice. This podcast is strictly educational. Talk to your lawyer.